Uh, we're going to continue today uh, in the book of Mark, which we've actually been working on in this church for, um, I think, in order of a year. Uh, and we're in the 14th chapter of the book of Mark now, and uh, we're looking at uh, verses 22 to 31 of the book of Mark uh, in the Bible's New Testament. Just so you know, Pastor Patty is on holiday for a week, and then she's preaching at a camp for a week. So you have me this morning, and you have our French campus pastor, uh, Normand Charlebois, will be here next week to, uh, to, to preach. So we're going to look at Mark. Uh, chapter 14, verses 22 to 31. Mark, if you're brand new to the Bible and you can find your way to the New Testament, you've got Matthew and then you've got Mark. He's really easy to follow. He writes in a really simple style. He's, he's bang, 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 kind of action-packed. He doesn't spend a lot of time on detail. Um, and so if you're brand new to the Bible, it's a great, great book for you to, you to, to start with, the book of Mark. Uh, the problem with the book of Mark is that it goes by so fast. And if you really want to get the gist of what Mark is trying to say, you have to slow it down. You have to kind of put Mark in slow motion a little bit to understand what he's talking about. Otherwise, you're going to miss uh, what he's trying to say, and you're going to miss the meaning uh, of what he's talking about. And the text that we're going to read today is no exception. Uh, this is a thing that goes by so fast, and it's loaded with all kinds of truth. But we have to kind of slow it down to take a look at it in order to understand it. Um, Mark is one of the synoptic gospels, we call them, okay? So Matthew and Mark and Luke, these are called synoptics. That means they give you a synopsis of the life of Jesus. The cool thing about these three is that they say the same thing, just from different angles and in pieces and parts, a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. So a tip for you when you're reading a, a book like Mark is, well, okay, if you got a story and it's also in Matthew or it's also in Luke, well, take a look at it there because that helps you understand what's going on and you fit it together a bit like the pieces of a, a jigsaw puzzle. We're going to do that a little bit today. It will really help us to understand. You've got some of the highest drama uh, that you can find in the Bible is in this passage that we're about to read. And, the, and the, the broader context. So you've got uh, uh, Jesus and his last moments with friends. Uh, you, you've got uh, him being betrayed. You've got people uh, selling him out. Uh, you have him arrested. You have him put on trial. You have all his thick layer of politics going on. And eventually he faces execution on a cross. It's very, very high drama. But it goes by so fast in a book like Mark that we really need to slow it down. So it's kind of high drama in slow motion. So what we're about to read is right after Jesus says at this famous Last Supper meal that one of his own is going to sell him out and betray him. And we pick it up right in the center of verse 22 of Mark 14. And as they were eating... He took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many." 
Truly, I say to you, I will not drink it again. Uh, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and all the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Very, very high drama and things coming by very, very quickly. And so we're going to slow it down and see what the meaning is here because it is incredibly meaningful for them and even for us today. The very first thing that we need to look at, which really forms the foundation of what we're going to talk about today, is that Jesus is right there at that moment instituting what we call the new covenant. And this is major, major news. So again, verses 22 to 24, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, take this is my body. He took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them. They all drank of it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. We hear these words. If we're church people, all of the time, every month, whenever we do communion, which is what we're going to do today at the end, and it starts to become so repetitive that it almost puts us to sleep. I think there's two or three of you who are sleeping right now even. So if your neighbor's sleeping, just give them a like this, okay? Um, it's okay. I know the seats are very, very comfortable, so it's all right if you sleep in them. I'm not, I'm not offended much, okay? Uh, there's major news that's happening here, and Jesus is doing something that if you're the original hearers and watchers of what he's saying and doing, your eyes are big like this. You're not sleeping at the moment that he says this, and here's why. He's choosing his words very, very specifically, very carefully. If you were a first century Jew and you're listening to what he's saying, uh, you're, you're very startled. Uh, the Jewish people knew the first five books of the Bible, or what we call the law, or what they call the Torah. They knew it very, very well. And this was what they followed, and this is what they still attempt to follow today. And there are many of them back in that time and even today who can recite the thing pretty well from memory. And so when Jesus is using this terminology, he's taking these ancient symbols of uh, the Passover meal, and we've looked at that many, many times uh, over the, in, in recent days, and he's taking this and he's augmenting the meaning. And he's doing something to it that they have never, ever heard before. And he's applying it in a different way, in a new way. So back in the, in the time of the Old Testament, when Moses was talking about the old covenant of the law and these first five books of the Bible or the Torah, 
Uh, Moses confirms this to the people in the book of Exodus and the passage is in Exodus 24 verses 7 to 8. It's not on the screen, but you can scribble it down and look at it later. Exodus 24, 7 to 8. And listen to the language carefully. Then he took the book of the covenant, this is Moses, taking the, basically the equivalent of the Torah, and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood, and he threw it on the people. And what does he say? Watch the language. Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So when Jesus talks about the blood of the covenant... That's exactly where the minds of these people are going. And they're going, whoa, he's changing the meaning here. And he's making this about something much bigger. And he's bringing in something even at that very moment that would affect the rest of their lives and even affects our lives today. He's bringing in the new covenant. And when he uses this language, his original hearers in their minds, they're saying he's... He is claiming on the authority of God himself to be bringing in the promised new covenant that we see even in the prophets of old. So Jeremiah chapter 31, I think that's on the screen there, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant in the house of Israel and in the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, On the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is a new covenant, and Jesus, right there in that Last Supper, he is declaring on the authority of God himself, I am bringing it into you right here and right now. This is very, very big news, Uh, and it's news, really, that got him killed. Because he, 40 years later, as Jesus had predicted himself, even in the same passage of Mark 14, he predicts, The temple is going to be destroyed. The place where people have all of these sacrifices is going to be destroyed. Everything that you know is about to change. In fact, it is changing now. And there are many, many implications of this that we need to look at. Again, slowing the tape down of Mark a little so that we can appreciate it today. Number one, first and foremost, we have the opportunity for the forgiveness of of sins once and for all by God through grace, through Jesus on the cross. Now, most, in most Pentecostal churches, you usually get an amen or a, it's time to wake up now when you say that. The forgiveness of sins is now available. 
You do not have to bring your dog or your cat or your rabbit or your goat or your mule or your cow to some place and spill its blood on some altar every year all over and over and over again for your sins to be forgiven. God now says, I forgive your sins once and for all. I will remember them no more once and for all. This is really big news. This is good news. God is saying this in this prophecy in Jeremiah, and Jesus is bringing it into place. He says in verse 24, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. If you look at it in Matthew, Matthew says, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, understand the problem of humanity is not that we don't have enough money. It's not that we're not healthy enough. It's not that we're not smart enough or we're not successful enough or we need more things. The problem of humanity is that we are sinful. We are sinful no matter how popular we are, no matter how much money we have, no matter where we come from, no matter what religion we come out of. It doesn't matter. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and we have no way of connecting to God. We have no opportunity for a relationship with God. We are completely helpless and hopeless on our own. It does, I don't care who is in the audience today. It doesn't matter what your position in life is. You cannot do enough to have a relationship with God. You cannot walk enough old ladies across the street. You cannot pay your taxes enough. You cannot be faithful enough to your wife. You can't join the Boy Scouts enough. Nothing you do will be good enough for you to have a relationship with God. That's bad news, right? Well, the good news is that God himself has solved this problem. And God himself has come to us in the person of Jesus and died on the cross once and for all so that our sins, regardless of what they are, can be forgiven. Regardless of what your past is, regardless of what even your present is, you can come to God and you can be forgiven and you can have a relationship with God today. He can walk with you and talk with you and he offers you this invitation today that you can have a relationship with him. Do you think that that's maybe worth celebrating? That's kind of why this church exists and why it's been here for a century in the downtown core. That's really big news. That's good news. I will forgive their sin. I will remember it no more. No more temple. Forty years later, it was gone. It was destroyed by the Romans, and it has never since been rebuilt. No more temple. That means no more sacrificial system. That means the whole thing is turned on its head. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for us once and for all. The forgiveness of sins is now available even to us in the 21st century. It's in the already and in the not yet. What do I mean by this? Take a, a, a look at verse 25 of the text, again, that we usually skip over so quickly. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. 
This suggests a passage of time between the time that Jesus is having this this last supper, Passover meal with these people, and the time when he's going to somehow do it again, there's going to be a lapse of time. Well, guess what? You and I, we live in that time. We're in the already and the not yet, as one author says. There seems to be a gap of time That we have. Jesus says in verse 28, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Why? Well, in Galilee, he gives them the great commission. And he says, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. How many of you think that may take some time? Well, we're still in that time today. And this too would have been a very, very new way of thinking about time for these people who first heard what Jesus said. If you lived back in that day, you believed that you lived on the edge of time itself. It is, a, it is written, uh, the, the whole Bible is written really in an eschatological context. That means uh, it, with the understanding of the end of the world, to use a fancy, a fancy term. And I'm going to show you two little pictures that if you get nothing out of today's message, I want to give you this. And this comes out of, uh, uh, it's not original to me, but I think the author, his name is Gordon Fee, he explains this with the utmost of simplicity. One of the greater Pentecostal scholars of the 20th century wrote a terrific book that I would recommend to you, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. And he talks about how we live in the already and the not yet. This is what the first century Jew would understand and I see some of you are smart. You take your cell phone out and you just take the picture. That's good. You go ahead and do that, all right? Uh, this is what they would have understood. And this was the, the, the hope of the Jews for the end of time or the eschatological hope that they had. They had this view of time that looked like this. They thought, well, we live in this age and it's dominated by Satan, by the enemy. So what do we see? We see sin in it. We see sickness in it. We see things like demon possession in it. We see evil men triumph and injustice. We see all these things. But when God comes, for them, when the new covenant comes, which is why their eyes were so wide when Jesus was talking, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to have the presence of the Holy Spirit fully. We're going to have righteousness. We're going to have health. We're going to have peace. The Romans will be overthrown. The Messiah will reign on earth, and there'll be no more death and no more sin, and all of it will change. And they believed that they were living on the edge of time. So when Jesus talked about this new covenant, they thought, oh boy, Super Messiah has come. He's going to do it all now. And this is what they thought, and this is what they believed. Now, what Jesus is saying is something different. If you go to the next slide, he is introducing a period of time between these two things. He's separating them. So you have on the left, you have this age, which has, be, has uh, come to a point at the cross and the resurrection where it moves into the age to come. So this eschaton, or the view of the end of time, has this period in between, between the cross and the resurrection and the second coming of Christ. So in this age, already, the already we live in is righteousness and peace, and we see healings, we see the work of the Holy Spirit, but we don't see these things in full. 
In the end, when Jesus comes, we will experience the not yet. So completed righteousness and full peace and no sickness or death and the presence of the Holy Spirit in complete fullness. But we live in between those two things. We live in between the already and the not yet. And this is what Jesus is saying when he's saying there is a gap of time. I will not drink this cup with you again until that day. I'm going to Galilee to meet you. I'm going to give you the great commission. You have to live in this world until that day. Already you have the presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Already you see the signs of the kingdom of God. Already you see the power of God at work, but you don't see it in full yet. You will one day, you will see it all. And we live in this tension. Can I tell you, this is critical for you to understand as a believer. Because many of you, I feel, having, having served in this church for 15 straight years full-time and worked with so many people, many of you, I feel like you're frustrated. You say, God, I'm praying for the thing to happen. I'm living my life for you. I'm, I'm living a, a life that's Christian and all these things, and yet I'm still sick, and I'm still struggling, and I still have all these problems. Why? Because you live in the already and the not yet, that's why. You say, well, you, I don't have sin in my life. It's not because of some curse that was put on me by my ancestors that I have to break. It's not because I have to go and visit some, some other place, some other church. I don't have to do that. No, you don't. You live in the already and the not yet. And sometimes you're going to experience things that hurt. You're going to experience things where you say, God, why is it not changing? Because you live in the already and the not yet. Are there cases where, well, you have a lack of faith? Are there cases where there's sin in your life? Sure there are. But for the most part, and I've seen great people of faith in this church over the years. I've seen people with more faith than most pastors. And you know what? They, they experience the same kinds of things that everybody else does. Why? Because we live in this period of time, this tension between the already and the not yet. And this can be so, this can be such a light that can turn on in your heart when you realize, okay, it's going to be okay. Because Jesus has a, a, a wonderful future for you. You're living in the same tension that the disciples lived in 2,000 years ago. And you're just a little bit closer to the end than they were. When is the end going to happen? I have no idea. But we're 2,000 years closer than we were 2,000 years ago. And we live in this tension. So you need to appreciate that and understand that. That is, that is just in the tiniest little section of this passage of Scripture that we read. What things will you experience in the already and the not yet? Well, has any of you ever been betrayed before? Has any of you not been betrayed before? How about I ask it that way? No hands. Has any of you ever been betrayed by someone who you didn't expect to be betrayed by? Oh, there's a little more hands. Has any of you been betrayed by a person who claimed to be a follower of Christ just like you are, and they betrayed you too? Has any of you experienced betrayal by all of them at once? So all of the people who you thought you trusted and who were your friends and who experienced the faith together, they all walked out on you at once. You ever experienced that before? Well, this is exactly what Jesus is experiencing in this passage. In fact, he says the whole thing is predicted by God in advance. 
How is that for living in the already and the not yet? Well, this is the type of stuff that happens. And it's not that God is going to somehow magically shield us from all this. It's that he gives us a way to stand up under it. He gives us a way to live life because we have his presence with us in the already. So when the bad news comes from the doctor, yes, pray. Pray that you will be healed. Pray like you've never prayed before that you will be healed. But if you're not Take comfort in the fact that Jesus is still with you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He isn't punishing you. You live in the already and the not yet. Just like all of the followers of Christ for the last 2,000 years. Take comfort in that. Already you have the presence of God with you. You can make it through anything with the presence of God with you. Does God heal? Absolutely. Does he heal every minute, all the time, whenever we ask him? Absolutely not. And I have seen this over and over and over again. I used to have a running joke uh, when I ran visitation here for many, many years and visited hundreds of people in the hospital, uh, many of whom were, you know, at death's door or close. And I just used to say to them, well, if you want to go quickly to be with Jesus, come, I'll, I'll pray for you because I'm good at that. <laughs> I'll do your funeral after, too, no problem. The fact is, folks, that's a part of life. That's a part of life that we live in today. This is the reality of what we live in today. We're in the already, but the not yet. And so don't, don't condemn yourself when you feel like, God, where are you? Why is it not happening? Remember, you're still a child of God. And Jesus says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I am right here with you, even through this suffering and this trial and this whatever it is you're going through. He doesn't always take it away, but he will one day into eternity is how the new covenant affects us in the end. So Jesus says in verse 25, truly I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. But watch in Matthew, he says it this way. I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day I drink it new with you. There's going to be, we're going to be there with him, is the implication. I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is why Jesus said to pray, your kingdom come. This is what he's talking about. He's saying, you pray for that not yet to come. You're in the already, pray for the not yet. This is what Jesus is saying, I will drink it new with you. This implies that we're going to be there with him, those of us who follow Jesus. It means there's life after this life. It means that when you pass from this life, it's not the end. You're going somewhere else. On, on midweek now, we're looking at this whole subject one minute after you die. And we're looking at this head on and asking the question, what does the scripture say about this? And there is a glorious hope for the believer, even that goes into eternity because of the new covenant. You can even face death with confidence. You can face death with courage and hope and not 
fear because of the new covenant. Because Jesus has made a deposit into your life of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing the promised inheritance to come. I thought we were in a Pentecostal church. I feel like I'm preaching good enough for you not to be put to sleep. Folks, that's good news. You can't stop. You cannot stop the follower of Jesus even with death itself. You cannot. All it does is bring them into the presence of God face to face. Even death itself, you do not need to fear that great enemy because of the new covenant that Jesus has put together for us. Revelation chapter 19 talks about this, taking the cup, as it were, together, verses 6 to 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. That's you and me saying that. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride, that's the people of the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints, this symbol of the great reunion that we will have with Jesus himself and even with one another. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Folks, the invitation has already been sent to us 2,000 years ago when Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant in my body. That's the invitation. The question for us today is, have you opened your invitation? Have you received the invitation to be in the new covenant, in that arrangement that God now has with all humanity available for all of us, regardless of your background. Have you opened your invitation? And I want to give you a moment to do that before we acknowledge the new covenant through communion today. Have you opened that invitation? If I could have every, everybody close your eyes just for a moment of privacy so that no one's looking around, not to do anything unusual or strange, just to give you a moment of privacy. This is a matter between you and your creator. I only look so that, so that I can see, so that I can pray for you. Can I tell you that God, your creator, is speaking to you today through this message? And he is very, very much wanting you to open that invitation today. He, he is able and willing to immediately now forgive you of all of your sin and wash you and make you clean. That you can be a new creation, a new creature and begin to experience the already. The presence of the Spirit with you, leading you and guiding your life and helping you through life and helping you make it through and doing the things that God wants you to do, not the things that you want per se, but the things that God wants you to do. He is able to give that gift to you right now if you open the invitation even at this moment. 
I'm going to lead you in a very, very simple prayer before we go further and we participate in the emblems of communion. And if that's you and you say, I want to open that invitation, I want to become a child of God in this moment, I want you just to raise your hand so that I can see you, so that I can pray for you before we move further. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand on the right. Thank you. You may put it down. Anybody else? Today is the day that you've come. Yes, sir, I see your hand in the front on the left. You may put it down. Yes, I see your hand in the balcony. Thank you, sir. You may put it down. Yes, I see your hand on the left, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, I see your hand as well. Thank you. Yes, I see two hands on the left, one on the front on the right. Yeah, God is speaking to people. He's speaking to people today. Today is your day to open the invitation that God is giving to you. Anybody else today? I just wait a moment longer. We have time. Yes, I see your hand, sir. Thank you. And maybe you're a believer already, but you haven't appreciated the benefits of the new covenant. You haven't realized all these things. And you say, wow, this this opens wide. I understand greater now. And, And maybe that's you as well. I tell you, this moment is significant for all of us today. I want to pray with the people specifically who raised your hand. And, and what I'd like you to do is to start thinking about the next step, okay? The next step for you is to show what you're about to pray through being baptized in water. And the next time that we have a water baptismal service in this church, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to be baptized in water. And that's the next step for you as you keep moving through your journey uh, with Jesus. You keep coming to this church. You keep coming and learning but you need to be baptized in water. That's the next step for you. Let me pray with you. And if you feel comfortable praying this prayer out loud, you may do so with me or you can pray in your own mind. The key is the confession of the heart. And when we say it, we're we're saying what's coming from our heart. It's the authenticity of our heart that counts, not necessarily the words that we pray. So I'm going to pray a simple model prayer for you who raised your hands. Jesus, I come to you today. And I open the invitation that you gave to me. I don't understand everything, but I believe that you are real and that you're speaking to me today. I want my life to change. I want my sins forgiven today. Lord, you know my life. You know me more than I know myself. So if you are real, come into my life at this moment and forgive me of my sins and wash me clean that I may, be, I may begin a relationship with you today, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Remember, those of you who prayed that prayer, you keep coming to this church and the next step for you, the moment that you hear that we're baptizing people in water, you need to do that. We're going to move to communion at this time and I want everybody who wants to participate, including those of you who just prayed that prayer, I want you to make sure, I want to make sure that you have the emblems today so that if you could raise your hand if you don't have them and you want to participate, please, we have time today. We're slowing things down, all right, so that you can participate in the celebration, really, of the new covenant keep your hand raised if you haven't got your emblems and we'll just wait a moment for you folks i believe that the presence of the spirit is here today how many of you would agree with me i just sense that god is doing something in people's lives today praise the lord
Praise the Lord. You have in your hand a very, very simple symbol of what we just talked about, the new covenant. And we do it here in this church just with a simple piece of bread and juice. That's all it is. It's very, very simple. These are just symbols and pictures of something. They help us remind ourselves of Jesus and what he did for us on that cross. And the the bread reminds us of his body. It also reminds us that we are the body of Christ together, all of us people who follow Jesus. And the juice is a symbol, a representation of his blood, the blood of the new covenant that he put into place 2,000 years ago. And so we do that in this church regularly to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. Back to our original text, and you can just peel off the very, very top layer of these emblems here, just a little top cellophane there, and there you have uh, the bread that's exposed for you. In, uh, in the text that we read, as they were eating, picture it with me as it was happening, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, take, this is my body. Let's take it together. Now you can peel back the other layer and you'll see a little bit of juice there as well. I can hear you doing that already. Nick, I'm going to change things up a little bit. If you're in, the, yeah, if we could have the whole worship team come up, we're going to do that whole hymn at the end, okay? That he's playing so beautifully on the piano. And verse 23 and he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God with you. Let's take the juice together. Would you stand with me, please? This is a beautiful old hymn. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love to me, love for me. It would be great if we could sing the hymn just once through. And and really, if we can have the words on the screen, I hope we have them. It's not a big surprise to us. Great. If you don't know this hymn, you're about to. It is a celebration of the new covenant. Join with them as they sing. 